Well, we are starting a new series this morning. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to check out a series called I Am a Church Member. Now, my intelligent wife, uh, Katie, uh, put this graphic together, and uh, you might notice in that graphic that there's a, conglom- uh, there's a bunch of different faces from individuals who are members here at Osterville Baptist Church, and I just got to tell you, uh, we couldn't fit everybody into the picture. There was only so many spaces and that kind of deal, so Katie, uh, she just decided that she would pick the people that she likes the most for the graphic, <laughs> and um, so do be offended, uh, please. But as I think about this series, it is one of those series that is important as we think about our life structure. Why is it important to be a member of a church? You might be wanting something different for New Year's. Like, why can't you talk about the Daniel diet, you know? Like, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Daniel diet, but there's a book out there that can help us lose some weight from the book of Daniel. And uh, i got to tell you, I have no idea what that is or what it means, but if you want to check it out, go pick up the book. You can. Uh, But I am interested in church membership. I think church membership is one of those things where we ask questions about it. We say, why would I bother with this? Some of us might ask it from a perspective of, I'm curious. What's it all about? Others might be a little more skeptical along the lines of, well, why do I really have to join a church? As if when you join a church, you automatically direct deposit a tithe into the church, or uh, you're suddenly resigned to go downstairs and clean up diaper blowouts in the nursery. <laughs> For many Christians, membership sounds stiff, stifling, country club ask. Sure, it works for organizations like gun clubs, and it's kind of funny, gun clubs actually have more expectations than some churches do for church membership. But it sounds a little too formal for a church setting. And even if we agree that Christians should be in community and that there shouldn't be such a thing as a Lone Ranger um, religion, we tend to bristle at the thought of membership. Uh, We Ask yourself, why all the hoops? Why put the Holy Spirit in a box with something like church membership? So I want to address these questions this morning, and I want to explore with you why I think the Bible holds church membership as as a premium value. And maybe for a lot of you, you don't even really scrutinize the thought of it. It's not a big deal to you, but for others of you, you do scrutinize it. And I just want to challenge you, if you do scrutinize it, to scrutinize your scrutinies. That's important to do from time to time. To ask yourself about a thought process you have to say, how do I know I'm right about this and why do I think the way I do? Uh, If we would engage in self-reflection more often just across the board as people, that would be really good for us. It's important to do. So I'm going to be point blank with you. I wholeheartedly believe in church membership And I believe that it is God's best for Christians to pursue it. Those are my cards on the table. Uh, As we're going through this series, I have three simple goals. Uh, If you are not a a member of this church, Osterville Baptist Church, I'm just going to simply be asking the question, why not? Uh, If you are a member, but have lost sight of what membership means, 
I will be just reminding you. You made a commitment. Stick with it. Keep going. It's worth it. And if you are a member, number three, and are faithfully participating, I will be cheering you on, saying, keep going. There is a great mission that we're pursuing. There's a glorious Lord that we're worshiping together. Let's go after it. So this morning, we're going to be asking and answering from scriptures three questions or four questions. Uh, What is a church? Is church membership necessary? And then a little more personal, why should you join a church? And then what does faithful membership entail? Let's begin by talking about what a church is not, okay? What a church is not. A church is not the Republican Party. It is not a political party. The church is not a country club where we come in and we join the membership and there are certain perks that are associated with that, like we get to borrow the tables when we're having a party. The church is not an exclusive place for the powerful and the privileged. It is not race-specific, gender-specific, or class-specific. In fact, the church is that one institution where all of those divisions should succumb to a greater reality. Now, the church in the New Testament is referred to with the Greek word ekklesia, which is a word that means a called-out gathering. Called out for what purpose? Well, let's take a look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, you can flip with me. Ephesians chapter 2, if you do not have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in the chair in front of you, and I just encourage you, as we talk about the Bible, it's best to have the Bible open following along so that you can see what I'm saying in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 22. I love the book of Ephesians. A couple of months back, we studied the book of Colossians, and we called that series, Who is Jesus? Colossians is about the supremacy of Christ. Ephesians, however, really deals with Paul's perspective or the supremacy of the church. And here's what he says. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, I want to notice two things about the church from this passage. The first thing we notice is that the church um, has Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. No Jesus, no church. You see, friends, Jesus is at the center of God's agenda for the universe, but especially at the center of God's agenda for the church. When you think about church, we tend to think about many important realities associated with church, but we might miss the main point. For example, we might tend to think about church as a place where people come to get saved, which I've got to tell you, that is true. 
uh, people getting saved is near and dear to the heart of God. Uh, We might think of it as a place of fellowship, like in just another hour, a bunch of us are going to be back there eating chili, right, together. And we think of that in terms of fellowship. We might think about the church being a place uh, where people come together and help the poor. All of these things within the church's mission. All of these things important. But the heart of God's agenda could be summed up in two words. Jesus Christ. This is why here at Osterville Baptist Church, we define our vision under uh, three words. Worship, transformation, mission. And, And people might ask the question, why doesn't our vision begin with mission? And the reason is, is because Christianity is not a man-centered religion. It is a Christ-centered religion. And when you look at the book of Colossians and you see God's plans for the universe, uh, Paul says this about the nature of Jesus with respect to those plans. He says, He is the image of the invisible God. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what does that mean for us? Well, if the heart of God's agenda for creating the church, uh, or the heart of his agenda for creating the church, should also be at our uh, should be the heart of our agenda for joining the church. You see that? If there's some other reason why I'm coming to church other than primarily Jesus Christ, I'm missing the center of God's agenda. Everything we do must be about Jesus, must bring honor to Jesus, to imitate him, to obey him to rid ourselves of anything that dishonors him, to clothe ourselves in his character, to spread the knowledge and fame of Jesus wherever we go. Second observation about the church is this. In Jesus, we are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, the New Testament has no conception of a churchless Christianity. You hear that? There's no thought process in the New Testament of a churchless Christianity. Uh, The New Testament knows of no Christians just floating around in just me and Jesus land. You know, people tend to say things like that. Well, I, I connect with God in all kinds of different ways. You know, I could be out on a grassy knoll and it's just me and Jesus and we're worshiping together. But here's the problem with just me and Jesus land. It's actually just you in just me and Jesus land because Jesus is too busy being the head of the church. Jesus is with us as we are building a spiritual house, as the Holy Spirit is building a spiritual house through us, is what the Bible says. You know, in the New Testament, most of the letters um, are written to local churches. They're written to groups of Christians who have associated themselves with one another by the gospel. Why? Because the Holy Spirit operates through community to grow us and uses us to grow others in community. 
Jesus designed Christian growth to require community. How do I know this? Well, you do not have all of the spiritual gifts, but we as a church have the spiritual gifts. You can't practice Christian love by yourself. You can't put on by yourself the virtues of Christ. You need other Christians to practice those virtues with. You know, every metaphor used to describe the church in the New Testament is some type of metaphor that helps us to understand the interconnectedness of the church. A family, a body, a field, a building, a household. So as Paul suggests here in Ephesians 2, it's a temple or a dwelling place for God. Peter uses a similar metaphor in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the moment that you had trusted Jesus Christ, you were incorporated into God's household, into God's family. You became a living stone. Before you knew Christ, you were separated from God. You were alienated from him. You were isolated from the people of God. But when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he was raised again to new life, you place your faith in that. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit grabbed you up and took you as a living stone and put you into this church, this group of believers, this temple that God is building up. Paul says, don't think of this as an individual dynamic. It is not just you and Jesus' land. He says, we are being built up together. So what is a church? Let's define it. Well, I'll put it like this, and we know that all definitions can be a little bit shaky, but this is a good one, I think. A church is a gathering of people redeemed by the blood of Jesus and united together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And certainly we're brought together for the sake of growing one another, for worshiping God, and for the purpose of reaching the world. Now, let's ask the question, is church membership necessary? And just to be plain, when I'm talking about church membership, I'm talking about how we participate in church membership here at Osterville. So I mean that you go through our membership classes, and we have two classes. Uh, one's meeting right now, another one next week. And in those classes, you learn who we are, what we believe, how you can partner with us in the mission. Uh, you'll go through an interview, and that's not just, uh, you know, just to be clear here, that's not to put you on trial. We're not like skeptical of whether or not you're a Christian, but the elders are getting to know you. They want to hear about how you came to trust Jesus. And then you're voted into the regular membership of the church, and after you've done that, you covenant with your fellow Christians, your church members, to identify with them, be accountable to them, and participate in the mission with them. Does the Bible explicitly mention or describe formal church membership like this? Does it? 
I think the simple answer is no, it does not. It doesn't say this is how you conduct church membership, but you also have to understand that the Bible never uses the word Trinity. And yet I can demonstrate to you from the scriptures that the Trinity exists, that God lives in triunity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the same way, there are numerous truths and responsibilities in the New Testament which would either be minimized or denied if there was not some type of formal, definable, local church membership. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Um, how, for example, can Christians obey Hebrews thirteen seventeen without membership? The passage reads like this, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, how does that happen? How can believers submit themselves to leaders? If membership is unnecessary, who are the leaders responsible for? Uh, is it just anyone that kind of walks in off the street for that day? Uh, is it some kind of loose relational connectivity, like I'm responsible for someone's aunt or uncle that I've never met before? Or let's, let's ask the reverse side of the question, how do we know who should lead? I mean, no one would say that they would want to submit themselves to a leadership when, uh, you know, there's just a mass of people and someone just stands up and says, I'm the pastor now, follow me. I don't think we would do that. So here we see the need for some kind of definable structure. This structure helps us to know who the leaders are and also to know who they are keeping watch over. Another example, how can we guard doctrine? Uh, you know, there's a, a book of the Bible, Galatians, where the Apostle Paul is writing to this church and he is concerned that the church has stepped away from the gospel. They've added things to the gospel. And as he writes this letter, he does not write and correct just the elders of the church or just the pastor of the church. He writes the letter to the whole church. And he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, you see there that it's the church's job to guard doctrine. How do we do this as this church? Well, we hold ourselves accountable to teaching that is consistent with a mutually agreed upon statement of faith. And when you look at a statement of faith with a church, it should have references to the Bible so that you can go back to the Bible and look at what they are saying and say, oh, I can clearly see where the Bible says that. And the core of that statement of faith should be the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, who gets to weigh in? Who gets to decide? The guy at the Buddhist temple Someone off the street? Should the pastor be the only one? Well, I think Paul told us in Galatians that shouldn't be the case. It is the church's job to proclaim the gospel, to hold to right doctrine, to defend against false teaching. And how can a church do that if there is no definable 
membership. Well, I have more examples for you, but I am not going to cover those this morning. We could go through a lot more. Let's move on and ask the question now from a personal perspective. Why should you join a church? And I'm going to, before I answer that question, ask you a question, all right? Why would I resist the idea of joining a church? Why would I resist the idea of joining the church? If the Bible strongly expresses concepts that can only be accomplished through formal and definable membership, then what do I gain if I resist it? And even if I don't like the practice, like how a particular church does it, what does it benefit me to resist? That's a question I want you to think to yourself. Remember, scrutinize your scrutinies. Ask yourself the question. But let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it's important to join a church. Reason number one, in joining a church, you make a visible commitment to Christ and to the people of the church. Now, again, uh, when you enter into church membership, you are not becoming a Christian by becoming a church member. You could become a member of 500 different churches, but if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. But when you do come into a church as a Christian and join the membership, it's like raising a flag and saying, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm in. I'm associating myself with this group of people that believe these things are on this mission. The other thing about this is... um, when we come together in membership, it makes visible the community or the fellowship that God wants the church to have. Uh, The Greek word koinonia is the word that we translate fellowship, and uh, kind of the most fundamental meaning of the word is common. Uh, Fellowship in a church, you can almost think of it as like being open access Like we would have uh, when you have those townways of water here on the Cape or a park-like area. Essentially, there's no major prerequisites other than, of course, for the church, you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And we would also say you need to be baptized here. And so it's this open-like place. Now, a lot of us tend to think of community in glowing terms. I'm a Christian Jesus said, love one another, and I love all Christians. And I got to tell you, that's really easy to say when you're on the grassy knoll in just me and Jesus land. My little guy, Isaac, says, Daddy, I love all people all over the world. And he means that. He loves everybody. But it's really easy when you're not relating to people, isn't it? It's really easy when you're practicing community in an isolated group that looks, thinks, and acts like you. It's really hard when you step into the church and God has brought koinonia fellowship in this open park-like area where there are a lot of people who don't look like you do, don't think like you do, people who do selfish, petty, and proud things like you do. You see, real fellowship is hard work. Fellow Christians say and do things that hurt you, 
you will say and do things that hurt them, but it is in the context of real community that, and only in the context of real community that we can put the words of Christ to work. Love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, and get this, bear with, bear with one another. Friends, these commands can only be obeyed in the context of the church. But I gotta tell you, it's worth it. It really is. It's a beautiful thing when we learn to love one another, value our differences, and we choose to stay together under the purity of our doctrine out of love for the gospel of Jesus Christ and more importantly, for the Lord himself. Second, when you join a church, you make a powerful statement of commitment in our low commitment culture. Stand up with other Christians and say something along the lines of like Ruth said to Naomi, your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. Say, I am committing to you and I know that you are committing to me. As often we see in life, the greatest love is rarely merely spontaneous. That's an idealization, sentimentality that we love, but it's not true to life. Real love is more often planned, premeditated, and characterized by commitment. Don't just date the church. Don't just kind of casually pop in and out of churches because you like this church for that reason and that church for this reason. Don't cohabitate with the church as long as they have that program you like or the preacher still makes you laugh. Marry the church. Marry the church. Why? Well, when we make low commitments, we keep low commitments. I've heard people say when they're cohabitating something along these lines, we don't need to get married. We're committed to one another. We're in love. We'll never break it off. And, and they mean that until, of course, they don't mean it anymore. And the U-Haul truck's backing up to the house and somebody's moving their furniture out of the house. Commitment is good for your soul. It's good to say, I am willing to stick with a church through the good times and the bad times. I am willing to be a member of this church and participate with the church and submit to the leadership even when a decision is made I don't like. I am committing to come to this church even when I don't, get this one, feel like it. And sometimes we don't, do we? But as long as a church is preaching the word of God, as long as they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, as long as they are compelling you to go on mission, praying for the lost, we should stay committed to that church. Indeed, I would suggest to you to say to yourself, I am going to be a solution creator and not a problem finder. It's always easy to be the problem finder. It's tough to be the solution creator. Third, joining the church provides you with leadership and accountability. Uh, when we join a church, we are offering ourselves to one another to be encouraged, to be rebuked sometimes, to be corrected, 
I have needed all of those things in my Christian walk. To serve. We are placing ourselves under leaders, submitting to their authority. We are saying, I am here to help you grow. Will you please help me to do the same? What does that look like at Ostrovo? Let's again talk about what it does not look like. It does not look like some rigid form of judgmentalism. We are not all God's secret spies into other people's worlds, okay? But it happens in the context of community. It happens in small group discipleship when we're sitting around the word of God with one another and challenging one another. It might be a phone call of encouragement like, hey brother or hey sister, I haven't seen you for a while. Is everything okay? And maybe everything isn't okay. And maybe that phone call was just what God needed in that person's life. It might be a phone call from an elder to you. As a member, uh, we're praying this coming Thursday, and I just wanted to check in. How are you doing? How can I be praying for you? It looks like sitting under the preached word together so that we center our thoughts and our attention and heart on a certain part of the Bible, and we move together as a community. It comes from praying together. It comes from getting into real relationship with another church member and opening up about what is really going on in your life. Fourth, joining the church moves you from being a recipient of the church's mission to becoming a partner in the church's mission. Uh, Paul thanked God for a local church, Philippi, and as he thanked God for this church, he said a prayer, and in that prayer thanked uh, God for their commitment. He said this to them, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, koinonia, in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's what I believe about the local church. I believe that the local church is God's missional engine for reaching the lost. I believe that the local church is supposed to be a missionary-making factory. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, when you start attending a local church, suddenly you're going to be on a plane heading to Africa or China or somewhere else in the world to become a missionary, though, 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 some of you should. But you are a missionary to the particular locale, the glow that surrounds 824 Main Street, Osterville, Massachusetts. You're out there winning people to Christ, raising them up in Christ, teaching them to share Christ with their friends, neighbors, and relatives, bringing those people to church so that they too can be raised up through the church, taught and sent. When you join a church, you move from being a recipient of the church's mission to becoming a partner in the church's mission. And I got to tell you, friends, Sharing Jesus with our friends, loved ones, neighbors, anyone that doesn't know him, that's something I can only do now. I can't do that in heaven. And I'm a team player. I like the idea of working with others to accomplish far more than I could ever accomplish on my own. You see, when a church develops an evangelism DNA, boy, that's when you really start seeing people come to Christ. So as we close out, are you guys still hanging with me? Are we good? We're together? All right. Let's talk about my friend Tom Rayner for a minute. And by friend, I mean I've never met him before and he has no idea who I am. (laughs) 
but we're still friends. It's okay. He wrote a book called I Am a Church Member. So, just being honest, I'm not that creative. And uh, in this book, Tom Rayner, who is the president of Lifeway, and he does a lot of church consulting, and he follows trends and statistics, uh, just cited a couple of things that are alarming and just make my heart bleed. He says, nine out of ten churches are either declining or they're growing at a pace that is slower than that of their community. We've also noted before that somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,200 churches closing every single year. Do you know what that means? It's like almost one church per hour. So as we're in worship, another church closes. Uh, My generation, my generation, I'm showing my cards here, you ready? The millennials. My generation, only 15% of the millennials are Christians faithfully participating in church. It's the largest generation in American history. 80 million millennials. And we have essentially lost this generation. What is going on? Well, we can blame it on secular culture, and we like to do that. We can say it's the Democrats' fault or it's the Republicans' fault. It's the political infighting of our country. And we like to do that too. We can even create this kind of amorphous blob called the church, the institution that we like to lob bombs at and say, you know, it's because there's too many hypocrites there and the pastor wasn't caring enough. We do that too. But I am proposing that we who are church members, we who are Christians, need to take a long look in the mirror. Is the church declining because we have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ? What if we committed ourselves to the biblical perspective? What if uh, hundred of us, 200 of us, 300 of us said to ourselves, I am going to be a living stone at 824 Main Street in Osterville, Massachusetts. What if we did that? Well, how can we do that in 2019? Well, number one, you can do it like this. If you are not a member, join the church. There's a membership class going on right now. If you miss that, You can go to the class next week. That's class number two. And the elders would be more than happy to accommodate you and find a way uh, for you to get into the membership when we vote on February 6th. Or two, if you are a member, commit with me to participate in commitments that make membership meaningful. Uh, I like this commitment plan that I've put together called Every Member. And you'll find um, that insert in your bulletin Can you hold it up if you got it? Thank you all, five of you. Oh, there we go. There's more of you. I like the second service better than the first. You guys are my favorite. Now, on this card, there are certain commitments that if we would hold to these together, I believe that God would prosper our church and grow us. The first is every Sunday. Commit to regularly attend church, not just casually, 
but so far as it is within your power, come to church. When it's summertime, put your bathing suit under your church clothes and come to church. Pray 365. Commit to pray every day for the mission of the church. Be a living stone that is helping us by praying. Bible plus one is committing to a weekly discipleship engagement and also serving in a weekly fashion with the church. Give ten. Commit to financially support the church through tithing, knowing that when I invest in the work of God, it is the best investment I could ever make in this world. The Tao, it drops a thousand points, it goes up 700. God says when I give to his work, it multiplies 30, some 60, some 100. I've never heard of investments like that. Reach two, commit to partnering with the mission by telling others about Jesus. Now, essentially what I'm saying, friends, is be a living stone at Osterville Baptist Church. I am a church member. I am a church member with you. I am a church member with you before I am a pastor to you. Why? Because I need you. In fact, I need you maybe more than you need me. And so I'm committing to do these things with you. I want to be a living stone here at Osterville Baptist Church. And if you would like to commit to do the same thing, I want to read a responsive reading together and commit to do this together aloud. Would you read this with me if you feel so inclined? I am a church member. I will be a living stone at Osterville Baptist Church. Because I am a member of the body of Christ, I must be a functioning member. I will grow with my fellow members. I will give. I will serve. I will minister. I will share Jesus with others. I will seek to be a blessing to others. We pray with me. Father, it's a beautiful thing to hear a church in unison committing to one another. And I pray that uh, we would uphold a commitment like this, that we wouldn't have a casual sort of engagement as we say something like this, but that, God, we would see that as we come together, unite around a common vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we become the church, that we be the church. Lord, I pray that um, you would use each individual member in this room in a special way. I believe that you have gifted them. I believe that you have empowered them by the Holy Spirit. I believe that we need them. And so we pray, God, that we would uh, just take by faith those words from the scripture seriously and put them to work. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.